Well, good morning, Grace. It's a great day to be in church, right? Yes. Um, you know, I'm happy to be back, and I just want to say thank you to Dan for last week stepping in last minute. My family needed it, but we're all healthy and back and excited to be here today to close out James as we jump into James 5 today. Um, and we're going to be just kind of reading through James 5, and we're going to start James 5, verse 1. It says this, look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are like moths eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away at your flesh like fire. The corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. It starts with, look here, you rich people. What a way to start. Everyone's checking their wallet. I don't know. <laughs> Is it a good day for me to be in church? Look here, you rich people. Uh, it, it's just an interesting way to start because we can interpret that as James painting the picture here about it's, it's, a, it's a warning to people with money. That's not what he's warning here. James is using the, the term rich people as a description of a group of people who are far from God, who, who aren't in the faith. And he's using rich people because it's often tied to, in scripture, uh, wealth and money is often tied to people who are far from God. It's not saying that it's a problem to be rich, but you can see a common thread throughout scripture. Those who, who have money have a harder time with that. It says this in Matthew 19, verse 23 through 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich pe person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I remember reading this and hearing this as I was growing up, and I, I always thought he was literally talking about a camel passing through the eye of a sewing needle. And I was always like, that's impossible. So I never want to be rich. I never want money. Because that sounds impossible. What it's actually describing here is a gateway to the city of Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. And what has to happen here as you enter, if you're riding a camel or a horse or anything like that, you have to physically get off the camel and walk, and the camel will have to bend down and crawl through the gate. It's difficult. It's a different, more difficult entrance to the city than passing through a large gate. So it's not saying that when we have money, it's impossible. It's saying that money can make it more difficult. Money can be a distraction to us. Uh, and what it's really saying in this piece of scripture, it's pointing to the, the idea as, as b between believers and unbelievers, that in the, when, as someone who is far from God has the mindset of seize it now. I've got to get all that I can. I only have a little bit of time here on earth. I need to get as much money. I need to get as much possessions. I need to get as much happiness as I can. Because if I don't have the mindset of a follower of Christ, my time here on earth is the most important thing to me. It's painting that picture that someone who is far from God 
Someone who's far from God is all about seizing it now. But someone who is in the faith, who is a follower of Jesus, has a bigger picture of eternity. And we are expectant for the return of Jesus. So we are patiently waiting. That's what it's saying here when it starts with, oh, you rich people. This isn't a, 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 a message condemning wealth. It's a message warning us. It's saying that your time here on earth is short. Don't, don't, don't hoard and gather everything right here. It's, we are waiting, expecting the return of Christ. Uh, Poole says this, he quotes this. He speaks to them not simply as rich, for riches and grace sometimes may go together. I know a lot of people who, who, who have a lot of money, but are madly in love with Jesus and bless a lot of people. Sometimes riches and grace go together. But he's saying, he's speaking to them as wicked, not only wallowing in wealth, but abusing it to pride, luxury, oppression, and cruelty. That's what he's saying here in this piece of scripture, is it's gonna be harder for you. And if you're far from Christ, if you are not in the faith, this life is gonna feel like it's a lot. Because I have to make this life count because it's all that I have. James is painting that picture. And it goes on to say, weep and groan with anguish because of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Weep and groan. This is a warning. This is a warning to people far from God. This is a literal warning that weep and groan for the the terrible troubles ahead of you. What James is asking here is he's asking this question. Who is your master? Who is your master? Weep and groan. There's, there's, there's terrible things coming for you if this world is your master, if money is your master, if happiness is your master. You will weep and groan for what's ahead of you, but if Christ is the master of your life, the weeping and groaning will not come. As I thought about this piece of scripture, weeping and groaning, who is your master, I, ca- I couldn't get this visual out of my head. Have you guys seen those videos on YouTube where there's the two people uh, separated by a distance and they put a dog in the middle and they try to see who the dog will go to? Right, anybody seen this or just me? Just me. Okay, so they put the dog in the middle. Well, I saw one and one of the people was a vet and he was going to take this dog in to be neutered. The dog didn't know this. So they filmed this video. They got the vet over here and they got the mom of the dog on this side. They put the dog in the middle and the first time they do it, the mom says, come here, boy. And the dog runs over. Of course he's not going to go to the vet. Doesn't know the vet. But the second time they do it, the vet pulls out doggy treats. And he goes, come here, boy. And that dog just, okay, food. You know, like dogs. Yeah, we are the same way. We are. What James is saying here in our faith, we know the right answer. We know we should go to God. We know he is our father. He is our master. But the world pulls out some treats. And we're like, okay, you know, like I'll follow you. I I, I can't be the only one that's guilty of this. When the world pulls out those treats, you're going to be happy. You're going to have money. And we we start to live our life for those things. What is painting the picture here is this idea of who is your master. And there's areas in our life that I think we have, 
we have to get okay with saying, you know what, I struggle with sometimes allowing money to be my master. I struggle with sometimes allowing just joy and fulfillment to be my master. And we need to start just having these conversations with ourselves, acknowledging that we do sometimes lean the wrong way, repent for that, and return to God. This isn't just, this idea of repentance isn't just a one-time thing. It's, it's, a, it's a repeated thing that we should be doing daily where we're going to God and saying, God, I'm sorry I did that yesterday. I'm sorry I did that yesterday. You know, I, I want to return to you for you to become my master. Now, this is not re, re, over and over again asking for salvation. That's not what we're doing. We're resetting the stage for who is our master on a daily basis. We should do this. We should practice this. So in the first part of James, in the first couple verses, he's talking to the unbelievers, the far from God. He's giving them this warning that they should turn to Christ. They should make God the master. And then it transitions from the unbeliever to the believer. The far from God to the ones who claim to be close to God. And it says this in verses 7 and 9. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains to fall and in the spring, they eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For look, the judge is standing at the door. It starts with this, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as we wait. Beginning of James 5 starts with a message to the far from God. And then we get here and it's talking to the ones who are followers of Christ. Be patient. Like a farmer in the field. Be patient. As we wait, let's just make sure we're clear on what we're waiting for. We are waiting on the return of Christ. We are waiting on him to come back and claim what is his, for us to spend eternity with him. We wait patiently, and I love the visual of tying it to a farmer. Because just like Dan, I grew up around farming. I know that's hard to believe, but I drove tractors, okay? So uh, I grew up around farming, and you have to be patient to be a farmer. You can't just snap your fingers and have this great harvest. And there's some, there's some comparisons to farming and the waiting of a Christian. A farmer waits with hope. A farmer waits with hope over the crop. A farmer doesn't plant the, the seeds and water the seeds and just say, there's no way this crop is growing. This is going to be a horrible harvest. No, a farmer waits with hope that this harvest will be good. And as a believer, as we wait, as we wait on Christ, we should be hopeful. We should wait with hope because our hope that we have in Christ is the greatest hope we have. We should, we should wait with hope that the harvest, the work that he's doing in people's lives, we should be hopeful about that. Now that can be hard in the world we live in. You watch the news, you watch TV long enough, that hope will start to dwindle. But if we stay hopeful, knowing that we are waiting on Christ and we are hopeful for his return, we can stay in that hope, just like the farmer. Farmer also waits with working. A farmer does not plant the seed and never touch the field again. I, I don't know if you know this, but like the stuff you eat doesn't magically just grow. 
There's work that has to be done. So the farmer plants the field and then gets to work, just like the Christian. As we wait on Jesus, we should be getting to work. As we wait on Christ, we are not called to wait on Christ and just stand in the back and hope that everything goes well. We are called to be in the game. We are called to be loving people well, reaching people, teaching people, discipling people. As we wait, we should be working. That's why we're doing Come and See. This whole initiative of we're just gonna spend a whole night opening the doors, hopefully taking in, in, down any block that someone might have about Jesus and just saying, come and see what he is about. Because we, as we wait, we work. You guys still with me? They also, a farmer waits a long time. Like I said, it doesn't happen overnight. The field does not harvest overnight. Sometimes as Christ followers, as we wait, we are waiting for a long time time. We've been waiting for a long time. We're thousands of years. And we still wait with an eager hope, waiting for the return of Christ. And we don't know how long that time will be. But we must continue to hope. And the last comparison I find here with the farmer and the Christ follower is a farmer keeps hope and waits, even if the circumstances change. As Christ followers, as we wait on Christ, our circumstances will change. There will be seasons in life where you are just overjoyed and blessed. There will be seasons of your life where it feels like the storm is brewing. No matter what circumstance we are in, just like the farmer, the farmer does not quit if the weather is bad. Just like them, as a Christ follower, we cannot quit and give up hope even if the time is bad. We still wait hopefully on Christ. We are just like the farmer. And then it goes on to read in this piece of scripture, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. Don't grumble. Grumble. Grumble in the dictionary means to complain about something in a bad-tempered way. To complain about something. Don't grumble about each other. Don't complain about each other. He's not saying don't don't, he's not saying that you don't care, you can't have emotions, you can't have feelings. What he is saying is do it in a healthy way. If grumbling means to do something in a bad-tempered, bad way, we can bring our request and our thoughts in a better way. We should have a mindset when it comes to this idea of grumbling and things in the church and outside of the church. Instead of just grumbling, we should be asking ourselves, what is one way I can help change it? How often do we think that way? When we see problems, when we see something that frustrates us, our initial reaction is to usually go to someone and say, can you believe them? Can you believe what's going on? We're grumbling together. When we are called to be a part of the solution. The question I ask here when it comes to grumbling, when it comes to handling things in a bad temper way through gossip and grumbling and frustration, I wanna ask you this question. Does your faith and prayer life outweigh your grumbling? Do you grumble more than you pray? Is your faith stronger than your grumbling? The, uh, the, the talking about, the, the just being frustrated, does your prayer life outweigh that? Because what this is saying here 
is that we should be going to God in prayer. We should be doing these things in a healthy way instead of just grumbling and handling these things in a bad-tempered way. Full transparency. There's a lot of grumbling going on in our world. A lot of grumbling. And I wrote down these things here that I want to remind ourselves of, that we are called to pray for. If we're going to grumble, if we're going to be frustrated, we should be praying for it. We are called to pray for our leaders, even if we disagree. You're called to pray for your leaders, even if we disagree. We are called to pray for people, even when they make us mad. We are called to pray for our spouse, even when we're fighting. And we are called to pray for our kids, even when they're crazy. You can put whatever thing in there that is causing you to grumble, that is causing you to have this bad-tempered way about yourself, and ask yourself, am I praying for them as much as I'm grumbling about them? And if the grumbling's outweighing the praying, we gotta check ourselves. It's not that we don't care and we don't have opinions, have those, but we should be praying for them. You still with me? A couple of you, we'll get there. And then it goes on to read in this passage, for look, the judge is standing at the door. Who is this judge? For look, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is the judge, it speaks of. Jesus, the one who sets on the judgment seat. The judgment seat, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. We will all stand before the judge. First thing, we have to acknowledge that Christ is the judge. I had a conviction this week as reading this. Church, we gotta stop trying to do Jesus' job. We gotta stop trying to be the judge that only Christ is appointed to be. That's his job. It's his job. He judges, we love, and we show grace. It's very simple. The judge that stands at the door is not you or me. We will kneel and be judged just like every single human in front of the one true judge, Jesus. Then it goes on in verses 13 and 14. And if you are suffering hardship, you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. It reads, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. That's why we started today's service off with asking you to have a bold, just a bold stance. I need prayer. If you're suffering hardships, James is telling us, if we are suffering hardships, we should pray. We should get into the presence of Jesus, asking him to move. But the truth is, is we can get so caught up in life, we can get so distracted, we get so caught up in whatever hardship we are facing that we often use prayer as a last resort. I've had so many conversations with people where Shane, I've tried everything. I tried everything. I, I've, I've tried this, I've tried that, and I guess, I guess all we have now is just to pray. Did it wrong. Uh, prayer is not the last resort. 
Prayer should be our first, first response. Oh, I'm suffering hardship, I should pray. Oh, I'm having these dark feelings, I should pray. Oh, I'm going through a season that hurts, I should pray. I, I read this quote from Martin Luther, it says this, I am so busy today, I better take an extra hour to pray. I am so busy today that I better take an extra hour to pray. What he's saying here is God can do more in an extra time with you than you could do having more hours in the day. I hear people say this all the time. Shane, if I just had a couple more hours in the day, my life would be different. And I, I, some, I want to say sometimes, I think if you spent a couple more hours with God a day, your life would be different. We gotta stop using prayer as this last resort, this lifeline that we throw out. When we suffer hardships, when we're going through time of hurt, we should pray. I was reminded of this this week. You know, I, I, I've had a, a hard season in life. I, I, I've been attacked by the enemy and my brain has been thinking thoughts and struggling and darkness. And You know, I had a moment this week as preparing this message, you know, I, I had to just get in the presence of God. How do I expect to fight these things? How do I expect to fight these lies if I'm not going to the one who is the truth? We gotta get in that habit. It goes on to read this. And if you're happy, you should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call on the elders of the church. If you're happy, you should sing praises. If you're sad or in hardship, you should go to God in prayer. It's painting this really great picture in James 5. If you're happy, happy give God praise. If you're sad or burdened or hurt, go to God with your needs. What it's really saying here is that God wants it all. He's, he's selfish. He wants everything in your life. When you're in a season of blessing and happiness, we should be going to him with celebration, thanking him for his goodness. And when we're in a season of hardship and pain, we should be getting on our knees asking for him to move. He wants it all. He wants everything inside of us. He wants not just our prayer life, he wants our faith. He wants our, uh, our whole minute by minute, day by day. I hate to break it to you, but if you fly the banner of Christian over your life, it's not a part-time gig. You don't get to clock in and clock out. You fly that banner of Christian over your life and you call yourself a follower of Christ, you are called to a full, 100% committed, devoted life with Christ always. 100% of you. Happy times, good times, bad times, he needs it all. As I wrap up James 5, as we've, said, we've, we've walked, through two, uh, walked through five chapters of James, and I've come to the conclusion, James 5 and James as a whole is saying one thing, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He, he's the only way. Jesus is the answer. And he's saying that he is the answer and if you are in relationship with him, it's not based on your works or what you do, but if you are in relationship with him, your life will have works, your life will have action, your life will have devotion. That's what James is saying here. 
We need, to, we need to give him everything in us. We need to give God everything inside of us and just say, you're the answer for everything in my life, not just some things. Because we're guilty of that, right? We're so guilty of that. Oh, Christ, he, he, he can handle this part of my life. But this part, I don't know. Give him everything. Practice what James 5 is saying. Give Christ everything in you and watch what he does in your life. Watch what he does in your life. We're gonna sing a song and I'm gonna close out the message after the song. I still got a couple more points I wanna walk us through, but we're gonna sing a song. Well, we're gonna practice these words. We're gonna say these things. Jesus, you can have it all. And after the song, I want to close with a challenge for us. But the reason why we're singing this song today, as we close out the book of James, if Jesus is the answer, he wants all of our life, not just some of it. We need to start to evaluate our life on what are the areas that we need to give to him. What are the things that we've been holding on tight to? Where's the area in our life that we've been gripping close and continually trying to do it ourselves? And we need to give that to Christ today. I, I, I challenge myself to really think about this this week. And I went to my wife with this who is much more spiritual and kind and loving than me. And I asked her this question. What is the area in our life that we need to give to God? What's the area in our life that we need to give to God? Something I had been wrestling with for a while and she just says it, our kids, our kids. We put so much pressure on ourselves to raise them the right way, to, to, that they turn out right, that they become the Christ followers we think they should be, that we protect them. We just, we're holding it so tight and we need to give them to God, trusting him. And I was like, you're so right. So I'm doing this with you today. I'm doing this with you today. That I'm admitting in front of you that there's areas in my life as one of your pastors that I've held tight. That maybe I hadn't fully given over to God. And today I'm saying, I give you this, Jesus. What is the area in your life that you haven't given over? Watch what happens when you give it to him. Watch what happens when he does with it. As we sing this song, you can have it all. I want you to take just a little bit at the front end. Stay seated and think about that. Is there any area in my life that I need to give to him? If Jesus is the answer, he wants all of us. What areas of my life do I need to surrender to him. I want you just to think about it as we sing. And then as you're ready, as you've pointed that thing out or you've pointed that area out that you're saying, I'm gonna be open-handed with and I'm gonna give this to God. I want you to make a bold statement. At that moment, I want you to stand and begin to worship him. We start with being in a position of openness and opening ourselves up saying, God, what is it that you need in me that I haven't given you.
And then when it's time, when you've acknowledged that, and you're ready to say, God, you can have it all. Jesus, you can have it all. I just want you to stand to your feet and begin to sing these words. And then we'll come out and we'll close the sermon out. But let's just have a moment of deciding, what do I need to give to Jesus today? can have it all, Lord, every part of my world, take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours, you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world Take this life and breathe on This heart that is now yours Oh, the joy I found Surrendering my crowns at the feet of the King who surrendered everything and oh the peace that comes when I'm broken and undone by your unfailing grace, I can lift my voice and say, you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world, take this life and breathe on. 
prayer. So take this life and breathe on. This heart that is now yours. Sing that one more time. Yes, you can have it all. Everything I am. Every part of my Take this life and breathe on This heart that is now yours It's, it's a great song to sing. You guys grab a seat. You can have it all. But now we get to walk that out. I love the line in that song. There is no greater call than giving you my all. There is no greater call than giving Christ everything. So we get to practice that this week. How different would our life look if when we wake up tomorrow and we look at our calendar, we look at our clock, we, we, we look at our family, we look at our workplace and we say, how can I glorify Jesus with this? How can I glorify Jesus and give my calendar to Jesus? How can I give Jesus all my time? How can I give my family to Jesus? How can I give myself to Jesus? Now we get the opportunity to walk this out. My hope for us as a church is we wouldn't just be a church that comes together and says the right things and sings the songs and has moments, but we'd be a church that goes and lives it out. I'm telling you, there is no greater call than giving Christ your all. And watch what he does when you do. Watch how you'll start to see people differently to see your time and everything differently, to see the calling on your life differently, that you're not, just, you're not just going through this life and trying to make it as long as you can with no purpose, but you're here on this planet during this time period for a reason. God has put a calling in your life to love his people well, to shepherd them, to help them. And I think it's fitting that we close out James 5, going right into our come and see night this Friday. It's a great opportunity for us to live out what we just sang. Can he really have it all? Can he have the times that you're waiting in the subway line for your sandwich and you're next to someone and he nudges you to talk to them, to invite them? Can he have that moment? Can he have your workplace with your coworkers and how you live your life and how you're talking to them? Can he have that moment? I pray that this week, with what we have coming up this weekend, that we are opening the doors, that we would all be on mission, that we'd practice what we just say, that we'd invite people to come and see who this Jesus is we worship. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for meeting us here today and 
speaking into our lives and the, for the ones in this room who had that moment of surrendering that one thing or those things in their life that they've been holding on to, I pray that you would just continue to move in them, challenge them, draw them close to you. I pray that as a church this week, as the body of Christ, we would give you all. We would take the call and we'd give you everything inside of us. We love you and we praise you in your holy name. Amen.